Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We're human animals and I think human animals are driven for comfort. We're like driven to survive, not to thrive. That's like a cliche that everyone says, but it's true. We're driven to be comfortable. And on the flip side of that is, I don't think it's clear what the payoff is of stepping into discomfort, right? But if you look at your life and the listeners look in their life, anytime they had an accomplishment, anytime that they're really, if they look back and then one of their proudest moments, happiest moments, I promise you that whether it's hours before, days before, months before, there was a great deal of anxiety because they had to overcome something in order to achieve that thing. And the pride and joy they feel from the accomplishment comes from overcoming that challenge, facing that anxiety and doing something with it. And the same thing is with our relationships, right? I mean, why is makeup sex so great? Because we had a big fight, we overcame it, and now we know we're stronger. And that sex was a manifestation of that union, of that development, that growth. So I think that we try to stay in comfort, but we don't realize by staying in comfort, we're not getting the payoffs of a more amplified sense of being alive. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Topaz, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be good. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you have a new book out called 12 Questions for Love. And when I saw the the content and the idea of how questions could be such an integral part of my life, naturally, given that I have built a career out of asking questions for the past 13 years, I was intrigued. Um, so before we get into the book, I wanted to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have influenced and shaped who you've become, uh, what you've ended up doing with your life and also, you know, how that informed what you've written about in this book? Yeah. Um, I love how in all your podcasts, you acknowledge kind of, uh, where people come from. I think that's really important or what has shaped them. Um. My mother taught me integrity. My mother taught me integrity. And that means a lot, especially I think I really acknowledge her for that. So, you know, you do what you say you're going to do and you stick to your word. And you, uh, she also taught me humility. Yeah. Uh, now she says she thinks it was a mistake 
because she's like you and your brother you're so humble and <laughs> she thinks that she, you're really like you're not standing out from the crowd because you guys are i taught you to be too humble my dad taught me um passion passion yeah. for for what you do um and what you do means offering value my mm. parent my my both my parents are immigrants so question was always what's the value what's the value offering why are you doing this how is this offering how is this offering value to others learn that and then uh and then you know you read the book i mean i think one other thing that they gave me was this this um this this hunger to explore intimacy because i kind of lacked in my childhood so that kind of set me off on a path you know and um which is is currently culminating in in this book and obviously the end so You know, well, your parents being immigrants, what was the narrative about making your way in the world careers, all of that? Uh, because like, I feel like, you know, in a lot of immigrant families, particularly like the ones I grew up in, it's like, you know, we came to this country to give you a better life. You better make sure it's better than the one that we had. My, my mom has always been very kind and supportive and not really, she's, was, you know, she only asked me once after I graduated university, um, when are you applying to grad, when are you applying to medical school or something? And it was just so, I was like, are you joking? Cause you know, I can't even stand the sign of blood. <laughs> You're asking me if I'm going to go to medical school. And I still, this day, I don't know if she was just testing me to just give it one that, you know, shot of getting medical school, but, but no, she's been, and my dad has always been saying, you know, he's always said, do what you're passionate about and, and, you know, we're Jewish uh, heritage, so it's a tikkun olam, which is, you know, are you are you fixing the world? Are you fixing something? Are you making something better? Um, both my mom is a therapist and my father is an organizational therapist. So it's always, it's always been focused. You know, listening to your podcast, I was thinking about creativity and artistry, and I have a lot of friends. And I remember in my 20s when I was exploring my own path of creativity, primarily as a filmmaker, one big question I had at, I would ask my friends who were children to artists was, do your parents ask you about the value you're, of what you're making? And their response was, no, they just want to know if I'm making something. Are you being creative? In my household is what's the value? Okay, great. You're doing this, but how is this helping someone? How is this a value? And I still carry that to this day. And um, I'm grateful for them for that. Yeah. Well, your parents being therapists, uh, it's been, you've probably heard me, you may have heard me ask this question. I always wonder if kids who are raised by therapists are immune to yeah. the bullshit that the rest of us go through. Uh, and also the other thing is like, this is another one that comes up with me for anybody who is like a therapist, psychologist, like when you're dealing with your parents, do you ever have this moment of like stopping a fucking therapist and just be my mom or be my dad? I, of course. I mean, yes. And I, I'm going to reserve my judgment of therapy. Oh, no, of therapist because my mom is one in respect to her and her work. But I, um, I've been, I, I went to a lot of therapists in my childhood because my parents got divorced when I was very young, three, four. And, you know, from the very earliest days of deciding where we would spend time and the, the schedule, we had to go to different therapists. My mom sent me to her therapist from the, and then my father sent me to his therapist that they chose. And then though both those therapists went to divorce court to decide where we would spend, my brother and I would spend our time. So from a very young age, I was going to therapy. And then, you know, I even went to therapy when my, when I was 14, 15 with my dad, because I didn't feel we were spending time enough with him. And then obviously as a young adult, my twenties. And 
I was always had this awkward relationship with therapists because I remember as a very young age going and them going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm thinking, what, why am I he- fucking here? I'm just talking and where's it going? Where, where's the feedback loop? Where's the advice? Where's the, you know, stop the an- analysis. Um, that was my early impressions and, and it did kind of extend sometimes with my mom, but, um, yeah, I mean, what can I tell you? I think sometimes maybe we do like, m- Maybe we do the work we most need to do on ourselves, but we offer yeah. it to others, you know? And yeah. so sometimes it makes me think of, you know, we're not necessarily the creative work we do. I've seen a lot of works of genius, but the person who made them is not aware of how great or how genius they are. And we can talk about that, but I've learned to like separate the works of genius from the person making them. Yeah. And, um, same thing with our work, you know, um, I guess I don't know how that bodes well for me in terms of making a book that explores intimacy, but I know that the seed was laid in for my relationship with my parents, my desire to find connection. Well, one of the very early things you say that caught my attention when you say, looking back now, it's clear that this was what was missing between my parents, real intimacy, the trust that's born of it, the willingness to be vulnerable that it affords, the powerful connection it facilitates, but I didn't know that at age four. Having never had it modeled for me, I didn't know what real intimacy looked like. And I think the reason that that struck me so much was because I felt like you were describing my own experience as an Indian kid, because like intimacy is not modeled in any way at all in an Indian household for numerous reasons. One, our parents had an arranged marriage. Two, like, I think I've seen my parents kiss each other like once and it was well into my thirties. And I was like, oh, that's disgusting. I hope I never see that again. <laughs> Because it was such an awkward moment. Like, I've never seen them be intimate with each other. Uh, and wonder, like, you, I know you've kind of alluded to the long-term impact it had on you. What is the long-term impact of a kid not having intimacy modeled for him or her uh, when they're little? And how does that play out in adult life? So a book that's informed me of the legacy of divorce. I remember the author, I read this about 20 years ago, but that really informed me because it said, it suggests that when you're young and you see your parents divorce or whatnot and they take center stage and now you're supporting them, your mindset as you grow up is that old relationships will end and they'll end in a bad way and this is just how it works. And that's been my mindset. Um, and then, you know, uh, but then you speak to other uh, people who've been born in certain families where the parents are still together and they don't see that everything has to end badly. They're not assuming, you know, everything I entered into was, oh, this is going to end bad. How's this going to end? You know, it's, it's not a question if it'll end or if it'll end badly. It's just how's it going to end badly? Like which way is it going to go? That was kind of inevitable because that's what I saw as a young person. I think the same thing for in terms of intimacy and our connection is what is modeled for us? And if we don't have other inputs, then we're going to follow down the same pattern. And I think that's what's beautiful about this project that we have. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of the end. On our, on our YouTube and all that, but these conversations last 10 years, these pairs having these intimate conversations where you see their face at the same time and you can really get a sense of their connection. This library, this archive of conversations becomes an incredible, powerful tool in people's lives. And I know that now because we're in our 10th year and our audience comes, they tell us this, you know, through direct messages and chats, but also when they come and participate in the end, people tell us, my relationship now was informed from watching one of your videos seven years ago. And wow. me and my partner are playing the car games and having these conversations. 
So now they come into a production, for instance, and the, the level of communication is that much more elevated. What I call emotional articulation is that well practiced because they've seen these other references, right? And, and where do we practice intimacy? Where do we practice better conversation? Where do we just practice the act of sitting in discomfort, emotional discomfort? Where and, and how to deal with that? And so primarily we get that in family, in our families. And if your family is not the 0.001% that's amazing at that, you're kind of out there to figure it out yourself. Yeah. But fortunately, you have this book, we have this 10 years of archive of conversations. And I think that's a real off, nice offering, right? But we are shaped by what we see and what we're exposed to. And so therefore, it's nice to expose yourself to different things and see, oh, there's different possibilities and there's different toolkits and there's different methods to to handle this. And, and ultimately, what you practice, you get good at. But how do you know what to practice if, if you're not shown different, you know, methods or styles or ways of, of handling something? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then. 
right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Why do you think I do this show? It's just like an ongoing attempt to resolve all my childhood trauma. Happy to be here. Glad to be yeah. here. Thanks. Well, no, I mean, in all honesty, like the, the perspectives I've gotten are ones that, you know, to your point, I wasn't supposed to. So as a follow up to that, you made a really good point. Like, you know, where do we learn this? And one of the things that has always shocked me is how we kind of like overlook these sort of fundamental skills to be human in our own education system. They're virtually non-existent. Like, it's like, Hey, here's how you add. Here's how you find a derivative. But we'll never teach you how to ask a girl out on a date. Um, tell me, you know, based on having written this book, the project that you've done, the work that you've done on all the research, like what would you integrate into, you know, sort of primary education curriculum to start to nurture this in younger people so that they, you know, grow up being emotionally literate? The practice of listening. The practice of listening. Like even the questions. So I'm offering these 12 questions even more even how to write good questions, even that ultimately an AI will, will do, mm-hmm. right? And many of the things you mentioned that we learned in school, the AI is going to do that. The computers are going to do that. You want to calculate, you want to even speak another language. I mean, you could talk into Google Translate and it spits it out in Portuguese or, or Chinese if you want. I mean, Mandarin, right? So all, more and more, what is more necessary for us to practice is being human. And what makes us unique is our our ability to have emotions and articulate emotions and to share things that are different, right? To see things from a different perspective and communicate those differences, right? And when there's differences, sometimes there's conflict because we have different understandings, but to sit in that discomfort, to communicate and see where are the synergies, that's what makes us humans really remarkable and different because a lot of the things that we've been taught and like AI is going to do that. Even the questions in this book, AI will come up with great questions to ask, but the core component Next is the aspect of listening, of taking in, of hearing someone and their experiences and their feelings and not responding with your head, but actually responding with your heart because the head is built to protect you, but the heart is built to connect you. How do we practice connecting more? I I love that you brought that up about AI because that was literally one of my first thoughts. So I'm going to dump this into chat GPT and be like, build me a custom model to, you know, simulate this process. But one of the things I realized with AI, and I've mentioned this, was that the power in AI actually doesn't lie in it answering your questions. It lies in your ability to have it ask you questions and inform it with mm-hmm. that. And it really dramatically changes the way that you work with AI when you stop seeing it as a one-sided sort of digital slave interaction. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, even now, how we prompt it and have a conversation with it, right? How do you get the most from it is by asking it really good prompts. And the same could be applied to the people in your life. How can yeah. I engage for most from this moment with someone who, you know, I work with every day or I grew up with, or, you know, we sleep in the same bed every day and we're building this life together. But how can I access this relationship that we have in a more default and meaningful way that makes it a more fulfilling, more satisfying, more resilient, you know, just like you can, you know, the people are getting hired to prompt the different AI machines around a, you know, engines around. Yeah. What about us being equipped to 
prompt the relationships in our life and gain more value from it. That's yeah. what well, I always say that the, the, the most important skills in the age of AI have nothing to do with AI. They're literally the things that make us human. Mm. Um, the very things you're talking about this in, in this book are effectively foundational principles for AI and human interaction as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, I think so too. Let's get deeper into this. You said that you've identified five key components shared by the most effective questions that people ask each other. Um, talk to us about those and kind of what each of them leads to and why the, the, these are so effective. Because, you know, like, like I said, when I saw this, I was like, okay, this is kind of almost unconsciously what I am doing as an interviewer. I've just never sure. seen it verbalized like this. Yeah. I mean, this comes from basically trial and error of 10 years of creating the space for people to have these intimate conversations. And then, you know, at some point, a year one, year two, I was thinking, okay, wh- why is this thing working? Like, why? This is something that's innate to me and feels natural, but why is this working and how can I make it better? Right. And then obviously in the process of writing the book was even more distillation of that. And ultimately, in terms of asking ourselves questions in the context of a relationship, you're going to ask your partner, you ask your dad, your best friend, your mom, um, coworker, a question. There's five parts. One is, and this is, let's start with a very simple one. Don't ask a binary question. Yes, no. There's nothing that's going to end a conversation quicker than like, yes, no, done. I don't want to talk to you. You know, we, I don't want to talk. Right. You have a good day. Yes. You know, are you happy? No. Yes. Fine. Done. We're out. Right. No binary questions. Another one is, this is actually quite big. It's like, okay, let's, let's ask what's really unique about, let's ask connective questions, ones that reflect and acknowledge the person or the relationship of the two people who are asking an answer, right? If I ask you, sure enough, what scares you? And your mom says, sure enough, what scares you? And the, and the, and the bartender says, hey, sure enough, what scares you? You say snakes, snakes scare me. Doesn't matter who's asking you, the same thing scares you. But if I ask you, what do you think scares us both? Or what do you think we're both scared of? Right? That immediately acknowledges our relationship, our connection, or the space between us. Right? And you'll answer differently to me than to your mom, than to the, the bartender. Right? So make the question reflective or, you know, acknowledge the unique relationship that you have. Third one is don't ask a question with an agenda. Why are you always so angry? Somebody really wants to answer that question? Why are you always so angry? Or, or you know, someone who's coming at you, if you're at, coming at someone, or sometimes, you know, lawyers say, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. Well, okay. So someone asks you a question, they already know the answer. Your, your instinct subconsciously or consciously is, why are you asking me this? What is this a test? Right? Why are you testing me? So don't ask questions with an agenda or a judgment. You want to offer questions as a gift as a gift and underline that as a curiosity. Like you're offering something as a gift. It's much easier to shake a hand um, that's open than to shake a hand that's got a finger pointing at you, right? Yeah. Another one is, look, our minds are, this is, the, this is the fourth one is, our minds are, are, like, are like dogs that chase sticks. You know, you throw the stick, the dog's going to chase it. You ask it a question, your mind's going to answer it right? The sticks are the questions. So if I'm going to say, why do, you know, um, why do we fight so much? I'm throwing the stick into like a mud puddle, right? Why do we fight so much? I'll give you a whole, my mind's going to give you a whole list of why we fight so much. Instead, why don't I ask, what's our biggest challenge right now? And what is it teaching us? Now I'm throwing the stick on a nice grassy 
par- hill part with a nice view. There's something for us to discuss there that's constructive. Be really conscious of the type of questions we ask and, and, and skew them in a way that gives you agency and makes them constructive, right? When you wake up in the morning, you go, ah, fuck, man, I got to go do that. You don't realize you actually just asked yourself a question, which was, what shitty thing do I have to do today? Even if you have a horrible day lined up, if you woke up in the morning and before you just work, we are always answering questions. Be conscientious of the questions you ask. So in the morning you go, uh, you know what? What's, I know I got a bad day today, but what's the best part of the day? What's, what's the one moment I'm really going to cherish? Oh, great. I'm going to meet my friend for five minutes, have a tea. You know, what's the question you're asking? Is it constructive? So if you find yourself like in a space that you want to ask someone a question, make it a constructive one, right? And the last one is, it's really nice when you can connect two things that are not usually connected. So it's almost like neuroplasticity of the mind where you can connect two neural nodes together that are not usually connected and then your mind is forced to connect them. So asking a question, you know, what is your favorite memory from your worst relationship? We don't usually connect those two things, right? What is, what about, what's your, what, you know, what is, um, these are really simple examples that are more like for individuals, but, but it shows you a really good example. Like what is earning money cost you? What is, you know, what's your favorite lie you love telling yourself? Right. So making them kind of two disparate things that work against each other together. And then your mind is going to explore this new pattern, this new space. And another version of that is putting yourself in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. True enough. What do you think is the hardest thing being my friend? Or what do you think, what do you think is the hardest thing being your friend? What do you think is the hardest thing being your friend? That's going to put you into all your friend's shoes looking at you. Right? Yeah. When was the last time I disappointed? When was the last time you, you disappointed me? So now you have to be in my shoes thinking about when was the last time I disappointed that guy that he probably got hurt. So, you know, putting in each other's shoes in each other's perspective helps create another space of exploration that we don't normally go into. So those are generally like the five parts that help uh, create a good question in terms of a relationship. And that's outlined in the book I've seen and all that. Well, does that land? Does that, does that resonate? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like uh, the, the, it was funny because like when you were like, what is your favorite memory from your worst relationship? I was like, I remember we had these great pictures and my friends, like the thing they came about with friends is like, wouldn't it matter who the girl was? The backdrop is beautiful. You guys were at Pebble Beach. He's like, any yeah. girl would have made this picture look amazing. It didn't, that was literally what came to mind. It wasn't anything about her, but at that, that moment just made me laugh thinking about it. Yeah. Well, let's get into the, the questions themselves because the very first question is, is what are your three favorite memories of me and why do you cherish them? And you go on to say that a tree is only as strong as its roots. The deeper down into the earth these roots go, the taller the tree can grow and the more resilient it becomes to the elements. A conversation between partners is no different. A relationship exists in, in a continuous push and pull between the past and future. It starts at point A with partners falling in love and for as long as it lasts moves towards a distant C the hopes and desires for the future that those partners share with many points in between. So what is the, the, the power of this? And I, like, I, I thought about this with my, my, my dad and I was thinking about, you know, my favorite date, like very specific days um, that I vividly remember. What, what's, what, what's, what, where I can go in many directions here. Where do you want me to go? 
Like what? Well, why is this one? What be like? This is I can't even imagine. Like many people do this, I can't even imagine my parents sitting down having this conversation. Like it, it's comical to think about them engaging in these kinds of questions. Really? But, yeah. I mean, just knowing why? what they're like. Well, but, but like, how hard would it be to sell them on it? I could tell them about it, and I think they would probably. You know, it, just the thought of them sitting down to do this makes me laugh because it seems so. They would probably engage in part of it. And my dad would be like, all right, I'm bored. Let's call it. <laughs> you know, I want to send you the family edition your way. And just as a thought experiment, you should just pull it out as a game. Be like, hey, I got a game from one of my guests. Can we let, let what's this question? Just choose a question and see where it takes. Because sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes yeah. it's that easy, especially when it's presented as a game, because then there's no winning or losing. There's no right or wrong. And then mm-hmm. the question starts to drop. And one of you will want to explore it. And the ones who are hesitant are just not practiced at it. And that's fine. But but at least being in the space where the questions are offered yeah. creates a, a conversation that might not be articulated with words, but it is. You know, even if you say, you know, um, you know, what are your three favorite memories we share or not? And let's say someone doesn't want to talk about that. They are thinking about it and you're thinking about it. Even if you don't say to each other, you're both in that spot for a moment and you are thinking about it. And so already there, a conversation, at least with yourself begins, right? Which is, what are the three favorite memories you share? Why are we not talking about it? Isn't that interesting? What a shame. Or what a missed opportunity, more like. But I mean, I think we shape these. The reason I asked about where you want me to go with this is because each of these questions or a stru- these are the meat and potato, the questions that I've seen for the last 10 years that really work, that lead to a cathartic conversation, both in terms of the questions themselves, but also in terms of the placement in the sequence. Because there is a power to the sequence, right? Um, if someone comes to you and says, why do you love me? Out of the blue, first of all, you're going to be wondering why the fuck they're asking you, why do you love me when I'm washing the dishes? Like, where's this coming from? If you play a game and it's a random question, then the context is set. That's already been answered. We're playing a game, so I, I know why you're asking me. And now the space has been created for, you know, the permission for one person to say and one person to receive. But even further, if it just comes out of the blue and we're playing a game, why do you love me? Okay, I'll give you a response. But if it's built on a certain architecture, which in this case of our question is the last question, It'll take us further. We will go deeper. And that kind of speaks about what I mean with the tree, like with the roots. If we build this conversation on a, on the, on the architecture and the base, the foundation of trust and respect and acknowledging the magic of the synergies we've created in life by virtue of us connecting, then as we then step into that, those are the first three questions. Then we start exploring, um, conflict in the second three questions and how we handle that. And then we go into the, really the vulnerability, which is seven and eight, which is kind of the core climax, if you will, which yeah. is, you know, uh, what is the pain in me you wish you could heal and why? The eighth is what's one experience you wish we, we never had and why? And then you come out into like landing the plane with, you know, gratitude and appreciate acknowledging each other. What are we learning from each other? And then d- the last one is why do you love me? That answer of why do you love me it's going to be so much more profound than if I just asked it in the beginning or in the middle, right? Because yeah, we've I mean, gone through this journey. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, I definitely noticed that the, the, like you pointed out, the architecture of this is that it, it kind of is almost like peeling an onion. Like you're going deeper and deeper and deeper to get to the core. Uh, so one of the, the things you talk about in the first question is, you know, what are you hesitant to ask me and why? And you say in relationships, it's in the dark where things grow out in the open in the yeah. light is where you actively build your bond together. And then you say delaying yeah. an important conversation until the right time appears to give this issue more time to fester, more time for pressure to build, potentially making the conversation even more painful than it would have been if you had brought it up right away. And I can tell you this from, you know, the girlfriend that I dated before I you know went to graduate school, I knew I was going to leave the Bay Area. I avoided the conversation for the entire year. And I always thought to myself, that was by far one of the most selfish things I'd ever done, knowing that I was going to leave. 
and knowing that I was going to end this relationship and letting it go on for a whole year. So are you saying if you had this conversation, you would have told her that uh, instead of being hesitant, you would not have put it aside? Are you saying that I you think, wish you told her earlier? I wish, I, I think we would have saved ourselves a lot of headaches and drama uh, because it was pretty much, the whole relationship was very toxic on numerous levels. But um, right. this, in my mind, I look back at it and I was like, by because I can only imagine you know, now looking back to put myself in her shoes, it's like, wait, this guy will not have a conversation about this, like thing that is looming over us. And, you know, like if I were in a situation like that, I'd probably be anxious too. So this is a paradigm I have. I'm still exploring it, but it's that I kind of see it on a spectrum of, are you in concept? Are you in reality? And I don't mean reality is not the right word, but are you really dealing with what is? And I think a lot of us are dealing in concept where we're in a relationship that feels uh, fits like a mold or an idea, and we're not really talking about what is really happening. You know, and so this question, what he hasn't asked me, and some of these questions like, you know, what's the biggest challenge relationship? What's um, what was a disappointment? What's a sacrifice you made that I haven't acknowledged? These are all questions that are pulling and exploring. Like, are we kind of just hanging in this concept zone where? You know, I play this character, you play this character, and then all the other things that are really happening, our emotions, how we're changing, our expressions are changing, how our, you know, our situation is changing. We don't really talk about that because we're scared of this discomfort level. We're scared of um, having a fight. We're scared of a conflict. I mean, I don't know why you were uh, hesitant to have that conversation with the partner, but how much of concept are we living in and how much of dealing with what is? And I, my experience of life is that you can live in concept for only so long because then something comes along and hits you hard. It could be cancer. It could be an affair. It could be breaking a leg. It could be who knows what that all of a sudden like forces you to deal with what is, right? And either you're going to wait for that big thing and the, and the lo longer we stay in concept, the longer we stay in kind of this rigidity of holding up a frame of what it should be, the less we're spending time on what is, the less time we spend on what is, the harder that frame of what should be like gets stronger and therefore reality has to hit it that much harder. It's got to be that much bigger that hits you. You hear stories all the time of, you know, people who are workaholics working all their life and then they get cancer and they realize that cancer is a gift because now they have to slow down, take care of their body, sit with their feelings, spend time with their families, their kids and not be, you know, running after whatever work mode there are. Cancer came in knock that concept of whatever they're living up to to actually deal with what is. And I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that's the riff that I feel on that these, at least three questions, the whole questions are really like pulling at the heartstring of what is happening in your relationship, in the space around you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does that land for you? Or what do you I, mean, think? I, I think that the, the thing that strikes me most about this set of questions is these are the, the hardest ones to, to initiate. Like they're the ones that we avoid, which makes me wonder, like, what is it that causes people to avoid difficult conversations, particularly when it comes to, you know, partnerships, like intimate partnerships? Like, why do they resist these? Because I think people, well, we're human animals, and I think human animals are driven for comfort. We're like driven to survive, not to thrive. That's like a cliche that everyone says, but it's true. We're driven to be comfortable. And on the flip side, of that is, I don't think it's clear what the payoff of the payoff is of stepping into discomfort. Yeah. Right. 
But I'll, I'll give you one example. I'll give you one thing now. Look, if you look at your life and the listeners look at their life, anytime they had an accomplishment, anytime that they're really, if they look back and then one of their proudest moments, happiest moments, I, I promise you that whether it's hours before, days before, months before, there was a great deal of anxiety because they had to overcome something in order to achieve that thing. And the pride and joy they feel from their accomplishment comes from overcoming that challenge, facing that anxiety and doing something with it. And the same thing is with our relationships, right? I mean, why is makeup sex so great? Because we had a big fight, we overcame it, and now we know we're stronger. And that sex was a, a manifestation of that union, of that development, that growth. So I think that we try to stay in comfort, but we don't realize by staying in comfort, we're not getting the payoffs of a more amplified way of being alive. You know, having these emotions and having these conversations and and also like sometimes we get in these conversations and we fall into the zone of like who is right and having to come to a conclusion. You don't have to do that. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about being in the moment and feeling the emotion and sitting in it. We're so focused in our society of like getting results, finding the answers that we're denying ourselves of having emotional experiences that just make being alive that much richer. Richer. Well, Let's talk yeah. about this next piece, which are the, the seventh and eighth questions, which center around pain. You know, the seventh one being, what is the pain in me you wish you could heal and why? And then you go on to say, trying to heal our partner's pain is usually an exercise in futility. Uh, and then you talk about the second one, which is, what is one experience you wish you never had and why? And one person's internal wound can have a profound emotional effect on their partner, even though it was caused by something that only one of you experienced directly, it can insinuate itself into the space between the two of you becoming something of a shared cross that's borne by both partners. Um, so talk to me about this, because to your point, like, hey, you know, trying to heal somebody's pain is pointless. We all think, I think we all come to every relationship with whatever broken parts we have or trauma. Uh, so what is the, yeah. what is the value of exploring, you know, these kinds of painful experiences together? Because, and it's not, yeah, it's, that question, number seven, the seventh one, what's the pain in me you wish you could heal and why? It has always been one of the most powerful questions that we have in our tool, in our, of our, in our, in our toolkit, if you will. It's, and it's over 1200 conversations we've held. And it's like, it just lands. It lands and it works. Um, so why does it land and it work? You know, and this, this is not just romantic relationships, it's every kind of relationship. And I think it's because we humans are mirrors for each other, right? You you will never see your own eyeballs, right? Yes, in the mirror, but you'll never actually see your own face. Like you, you, you can't. You can see everyone else's face, right? We are reflections for each other. And that pain that we have while we try to hide it from ourselves because it's painful, other people sense it and see it. And they can reflect it back to us. They can reflect it back to us in any way they choose. They could do it in a loving, healing way. They could do it in an antagonistic way. They could use it against you. But the people around you are reflections of you, to you. You see yourselves through them. And we have that in the practice of asking questions. And I offer this because this is a question, and I think it works, is because when you are intimate with someone, you know, when you're connected with someone, you have a sense, you can feel their pain by just association. The only thing is you can't heal it. They can, only they can heal it themselves. 
what you can do is hold a space for them for healing, right? When I have an argument with my wife, and it's tough, right? We've all been there. You're like, oh. I re- Sometimes I say, wait, am I trying to solve this problem for her that only she can solve? Because that's not really helping her. Maybe what's helping her is am I, am I creating the space for her to solve it herself? It's a different thing. Am I solving it for her? Well, that's not going to work because she's going to solve it for herself. Or am I holding the space for her to solve it for her? And that's kind of what the seventh question is. What is the pain? And the knowledge is the fact that, look, I can't heal in you, but I see it in you and I can hold a space for you. And even by me articulating it for you helps you in the aspect of bringing light to something that we try to hide in the dark. When we bring it to the light, when we deal with what is, we can put more energy into healing it and growing from it versus putting energy and trying to hide from it. And then this, the question right after that is, what's one experience you wish? That's where we start connecting between our mutual pain, right? What's one experience that we, you wish we never had? Something that by virtue of our connection, our synergy, we've experienced something together. And what, what you know, do you, is there anything you wish we didn't do? And there's sometimes it could be a connection between those two questions. Yeah. So, you know, the other question struck me, the story in particular that struck me was this one where you talk about, you know, what is one experience you can't wait for us to share and why? And you say, if a shared yeah. past is a relationship's anchor, dreams of the future are the wind and sails, shared history may be your foundation, but what kind of home are you hoping that foundation will support? And it was the story you shared about being in the therapist office with your partner at the time who said, do you guys want to rip off the bandaid now? Yeah. Um and it was I like I think the thing that struck me most about that was like, wow, what an amicable way to put an end to things like it. Uh, it wasn't this like just bitter, resentful ending. Yeah, I actually just got an email from. Uh, from the person described in that story and, and uh, she's very kind and grateful. And, you know, there's always a love there, right? There's always a love um, with the people that you've shared on the journey with. But maybe what being in love with is also that we're on, that our journeys are going to the same space and we're both motivated by that. And I don't know, I learned that from that lesson. It was a very difficult breakup because I did love that person. I love them, but we weren't inspired by the same thing. And I think it's important to, you know, we are traveling these journey, these paths, right? I mean, I don't know if what I'm saying is too foo-foo up in the air, but look, we're all having experiences. We're walking down the path of life and at some point your trail may or may not diverge. And the question is, are we going to the same place? And are we, are we, are we motivated by that? Are we excited about that? And not, you know, there's many places you go, you know, you can have personal goals that you have, but do we have a collective goal that we're working on? And I do think that's a motivating factor for us to building one's life together and bringing more energy to the relationship, you know? Because I think, we're always growing. We're, you know, my dad has a saying, or maybe he's quoting someone else, but he's always said, son, you're either growing or you're dying. It's like, that's, it's either you're growing or you're dying. And in a relationship, is your relationship growing or it's dying? What are you creating together in union with someone else that's unique? It's a synergy. It, it's like a unique thumbprint. If you connected with someone else, you wouldn't create the same thing as if you connected with me, right? And we should acknowledge that. We're not all zeros and ones. We're all not identical. Um, let's leave identical nodes to the AI. We're all unique. We're all different. And when we connect, we create new synergies. We create new possibilities. Let's acknowledge that and say, where are we going together? Does it both motivate us? 
you know, and that can bring more fuel to the relationship um, and more energies to work on the things that you need to fix. Yeah. You know? Well, let's explore this last question. You say, if this was our last conversation, what would you want me to never forget? And before we dive into the question itself, I want to bring back a clip from a previous episode. Take a listen. We spent all this time imagining we're going to get ready for our dying. And I think it's a kind of absurd idea to imagine that at the time of our dying, we will have the strength of body, the emotional stability, the mental clarity to do the work of a lifetime. It's an absurd gamble. So we should do this work now. And that includes those of us who are not dying, who are with our, elder, our aging parents, for example. Be with them now. Tell them you love them now. Waiting is full of expectation. Waiting for the next moment to arrive. We miss this one. Waiting for the moment of dying. We miss all the moments in between. So that's the great thing. Hold death out there as a shine, as a shine of light on it, so to speak, and hold it out there as a way of reminding you to attend to what most matters. Who was that? Was that Paul Conti? No, that was uh, Frank Ostaseski, uh, okay. who, uh, if I remember correctly, runs a Zen hospice project. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think the, prof- to me, the, the, did you have a question on that or could, could I? No, no, go ahead. You go ahead. What, what I react to that when I hear that is absolutely, I mean, I feel like that's, I couldn't agree more because that's basically also what I allude to in the book around that question, which is, and it comes down to what's the core is like, we need to be present and grateful to what we have. We have to be grateful and present. Like you, again, we're waiting. We don't want to have that uncoverable conversation of telling your dad how much you love them. So what are you waiting for? You're going to wait till they're on their deathbed and they can barely hear you. You're going to wait till they die of a heart attack and you missed it. And you're just going to tell them in your meditations. We're going to wait for, for what? Are we grateful for the fact that they're in our life? And are we present to the moment that it is fleeting? Every moment is once in a lifetime. It ain't never coming back. So what are you doing with that moment? And if you have a moment to share your acknowledgement of this other soul that's walked on the path with you, whatever, in whatever way, shape, or form, before they move on or you move on, what are we waiting for? And we're going to miss that. You know, those moments do not come often where that someone is dying, you have the time to take it in and they can have the um, ability to understand you and take you heart to heart and you can communicate. We don't, we're not granted that. And yet we're waiting as though that's the one moment you're going to share it. And it's okay. And I think in our society, oftentimes it's, it's offered like, oh no, it's cheesy. Why are you being so deep or intense? It's like, you can find a moment in a space and just say, hey, this, I just want you to know this. And that's what, in essence, we've been creating, right? In our, and in conversations in the practice of this book, of asking these 12 questions is giving us permissions to be grateful, to be present in the moment, and to articulate that. And to not miss those moments. To not miss those moments. I mean, I had so many friends that have passed away this past year. Um, Parents of my friends, my friends themselves. Um, You know, in the book I talk about my good friend Tim Hetherington that that passed away. And just, you just, uh, I mean... We're all going to die, right? So how do we share the moments we do have together? Did I just bum you out? No, <laughs> no. I wanted to pause because it was such a thoughtful comment that you made. Yeah. Well, let's finish this up with two final things. Um, 
in addition to sort of the depth of connection that these conversations have created, what have you seen as the changes have that people who have gone through this process have experienced? Has it prevented relationships from ending? Uh, I'm guessing in some cases it probably, you know, forced an end, you know, that totally. should have come sooner. Yep. What I've noticed, and th- this is what's really beautiful about this project that my team and I are so honored to have, is, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years. Uh, not only do we have kind of the the breadth of different kinds of relationships and different kinds of people who participate, but we also have the depth because people come back year after year. You know, Ben and Cedra have been on seven or eight times. Andrew and Keisha are the same. So we we have um, relationships that we follow for a long time. One thing that I've noticed in the last two years, and I kind of alluded early on, is Brie and Eric, right? Brie and Eric applied to be on the and production in 2016. They were seniors in college. They were dating. I, I might be getting this not exactly correct. So apologies, Brie and Eric, if they're listening, but roughly they're in college dating. Um, they love the end. They want to be on the end. We couldn't get them in. Um, they end up getting married and doing their own and version. They shot, they filmed themselves for their wedding. Six, seven years later, they fly from DC to Atlanta to have an and experience. And their conversation is informed by the videos they've been watching. Their conversation is informed from the playing the card game. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh my God, their ability to articulate and to sit in the emotion and have these conversations is well-practiced. And then I realized that's because they're playing the card game. That's because they're watching these videos. And that's, I don't know, I can't tell you. As an individual, as a creative soul, walking and creating and making work and realizing that you're uh, hopefully positively impacting people's lives by increasing the, you know, the depth and the the joy and the exploration of their relationships, it's a good thing to feel. I feel really good about it. I feel honored about it. I feel like, I feel like, I hate saying it, but I feel like I could die and I've done my contribution. You know, we started this whole thing with my dad's parents about what's the value offering you have. I have, I feel like I've offered value and, and yeah, I feel good about that. I'm grateful for it. So two last questions. How has it changed your own relationships to have engaged in this process? Not just intimate relationships, but relationships at large. Hmm. First, first thought comes up is kind of feel like it's in me, right? Like this drive and this hunger to for intimacy, and therefore I had it even before making the, the the series, the end, or the card games. You know, traveling around the world with a camera, talking to people, much like you're doing that by asking them questions on your podcast for so long. So, kind of feel like it's in me, right? So I've always been, I can tell you that I know I should use the card games when I don't want to use the card games. When I get in a, a carnival fight with my wife right, or something, it's like, oh, you don't even want to have the conversation. But then I just pull out the card games. It's like lubrication. Just takes the edge off of, look, none of us is thinking about what question to ask. We're just choosing these randomly and it just opens up the space for a conversation. Now, do I have those conversations with my family all the time? Um, not, no, not really. 
Um, but with those that are up for it, it's, it's always moving. My one brother, Sapphire, he loves playing the game. He's always up for it. I have another brother who hates playing the game. Um, you know, it's my dad. My dad is great. My dad, you know, he watched the interactive site. Then he watched, he came to a live experience because we have a live experience of this and he would play the card games. And finally I brought him into a production and he, he came into a production and he sat in and after the production, he goes, son, this is amazing. Son, this is, this is like sex. You can describe sex all day long, but until you have sex, you don't understand what it is. And we just had a conversation we would never have had, you know, and since then he's, He's actually came on board. He now loves the card games and he goes through different decks. He's like, son, this is really good. This is a really good question. So it's, it's nice to get that. And sometimes people closest to you are surprised by the work you do. Sometimes the people closest to you, you're surprised at the connection you have with them. You just need the keys to access it and the questions do that. I realized, I know I said two last questions, but I realized there's one I didn't ask. Uh, and this is for my, my personal curiosity. I assume that you've had people from a wide range of different cultures go through this process. And I'm sure it's how it differs uh, across cultures, particularly those like the ones that I come from, where this kind of intimacy is far from normalized. Well, what I love is we're really good at, we're really good at letting humans be humans. I'm talking about, we mean uh, my experience design studio, the the skin deep. Well, we create this experience at the end, people come in, and sometimes when I have a director who calls me after day one of production, they're like, Topaz, it's not working. They're not having the conversations. They're not really, no one's crying. I'm like, hold on a sec. It's not working because you have an agenda of how you think it should work. These are humans being humans. If you're in a space where the parents, your parents for you mentioned are, you know, culture, they don't want to talk, then that is the space that they're in. And that's okay. Right? I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that we should have certain kinds of conversations. What I'm saying is that we should sit in certain spaces that are conduits for conversations and whatever happens in that space is what should happen, is what can happen. And that's a market, you know, and then you know, you're like, oh, that's interesting. I'm watching this other family. They had this conversation. In my family, we we don't or we converse this way. Interesting. Do I want to do anything about it? Am I okay with that? Am I getting the nutrients that I that I need or that I want from what environment do I want to change it and the choice, but bringing more conscientiousness to the spaces we're in is helpful. And so in certain cultures, yeah, they're not going to talk about certain things and that's okay. And certain cultures they will, but I think just have, just sitting in the space because even though if we don't say it, you're thinking it and the other person's thinking it and you're looking at them and there is another type of conversation happening. And that's really what it's about. Is that can we sit in those spaces together? And so, well, look, we we filmed this in nine countries already, and they all work in different ways. You know, we filmed in um, Quebec, so we had the French Canadians talking. The way they talk about sex is so much freer and so much laissez-faire, and than let's say the American audience generally, right? Um, you have certain cultures that are not going to talk about certain things. And that's beautiful. I mean, everything is, I guess what I'm saying is I think it's important to ask the questions and sit in the space, not necessarily what the answers are or the reactions are. Wow. Beautiful. Amazing. This has been one of my favorite conversations I've had this year. 
just beautiful, thought-provoking, insightful. So I have one final question, which I know you've heard me ask. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Yeah, man, I've been thinking about that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, the only thing that comes to mind is kind of, kind of what I said is that every moment is once in a lifetime. Therefore, it's unmistakable. You know, it's like, how, how much can we drop into each moment? I'm, I'm not, by no means am I a pro at this. And I'm not going to pretend that I meditate six hours a day and that I'm like Zen and nothing runs through my head and I'm present in every moment. But, Every moment is unmistakable because it's never replicated. Every moment is once in a lifetime. Everything is unmistakable. It's our ability to be aware of it. That's what makes it special. That's the, that's what comes up for me. I love it. Beautiful. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, the book, and everything else that you're up to? So the book is available, ebook, audiobook, and everywhere, Amazon, et cetera. The skindeep.com is a great place to come see our products and experiences. And obviously social media is the skin deep. And then personally it's topazadidas.com. But really our platform is the skindeep.com. Just look that up and find it anywhere you find your social media. And this was awesome. Thank you so much for your time and your questions. And it was uh it was really good at chat. Amazing. And for everybody listening. We will wrap the show with that. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.